Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's podcast uh, is the first of its kind. Off-site, drinking the greatest wines in the world with two of my closest friends. And today's show uh, has multiple reasons why it's dear to me. One is a uh, long-standing client, friend uh, of mine I've taught, or I've known at least for 24 years, and is also the tour van driver and part of the Callaway staff. So that means that's important because you know that Callaway is important to me. He builds the clubs for the best players in the world. Kevin Napier. Kevin, welcome to On The Verge. Thanks, Verge. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, this is a, uh, what an awesome evening. Uh, one of the things that I'm most fascinated by is what is it like to build golf clubs to spec to the most finicky humans in the world and possibly the most finicky, Phil Mickelson? Uh, Phil's, Phil's not hard to build for because he tells you exactly what he wants. Yeah. Um, he's already drained it up in his head and he knows exactly exactly what he wants so if it's a five wood that's 44 inches long or a hybrid that's you know two inches short full of rack glue once it you know four degrees flat he knows exactly what he wants so those those are kind of easy builds but it's usually a franken wood or something mm -hmm. something odd like that he gets all his stuff built back at hq but he does get some squirrely ideas mm -hmm. sometimes when 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 you think about what it's like to be a person on the tour van. At first, at most of my listeners out there are going to be, this has got to be the coolest job in the world. But it is, it is interesting because they're all different personalities, and they don't really care what you think mm -hmm. about what they need, even if you know that you're right. Is that, pos is that one of the more challenging pieces when somebody comes in and says they want this or they want that, and you know it's not good for them, but you can't tell them? 
Yeah, uh, that's why we have tour reps that are out on the <laughs> that are out on the uh, tee, so to kind of talk talk them off the ledge. So uh, Johnny and Kellen um, are the reps that work with the guys, and you know sometimes players will text me and go, "Hey, I got an idea," or "Hey, what do you think about this?" And I'm like, uh, "Let's let's talk to Johnny and or Kellen and just see what they think. Just bounce it off of them and 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 see what's going on. I don't get to see them hit the shots. I don't get to see them. You know, rarely do I get to the range. I'm so busy. Mm-hmm. But when those guys come back and say, "Okay, this is what we're going to do," they'll tweak it. You know, whether it needs to be shaft or loft or lie or something like that. It's always tweaked. Yeah. The the player. It, it's rare that the player will get it right every time. They mm-hmm. may get it right every every once in a while, but it's usually a club that's you know like a hybrid or a five wood or a it's never something that where you know it's a, a mainstay club or something yeah. like that yeah that's fascinating and i would imagine the obviously the staffers it's kind of like the nba or the nfl where it's the team changes from year in to year out there's a couple of mainstays obviously mickelson's been a mainstay at Callaway forever and a day and right um but are there um are there people that you really enjoy working with on the tour that that make your job fun to do, yeah. Like the tour players, like who? Yeah, um, it's usually the younger guys, really, that have the excitement, that have the you know that have just maybe worked their way up, you know, the guys that have been in the, the trenches for a while, mm-hmm. the guys that appreciate it. Some guys, some guys don't appreciate it, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. But some guys do, and those are the guys that look you in the eye, say please and thank you, and you know. Just to give you like a few names, maybe like uh, Hadwin. Adam Hadwin. Uh, yeah, class. Yeah, class act. Please and thank you. Always comes in. What do you need? Nothing. Just here to say hey. But he's he's a loft and lie guy every two weeks. Hmm. He's very 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 diligent for that. Um, another guy, uh, Sam Burns. We don't see him a lot, but very stand up. Interesting. Very, uh, just shakes your hand, says please and thank you. Mm-hmm. The young guys that, you know, that, that had to dig and, yeah. and work hard. And that's that's the guys I like. Interesting. So, yeah. Sam Burns, we're kind of waiting for Sam Burns. Yeah. He's very young and very super, young. super talented. Yep. Had but he hasn't had that breakout moment yet. But he, he had a couple opportunities, not last year, but the previous year. Uh, or No, I guess early last year. Uh, he's coming. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be fine, but yeah, sometimes got, guys got to just get their feet underneath them yeah. for a little while. Sometimes it takes longer. Like you know, guys like Rom that mm. that just came out of nowhere, mm. super talented, and other guys like like Maverick. It took him a while, you know, yeah. and, and and sometimes they can appreciate it more. Do you sense that you can tell who's going to make a big impact early and not just by how they are and who they are when they walk onto the van? As far as their ability or uh, as far as just their presence? Their presence. Um, yeah. I mean, this is my fifth year. So maybe the first two or three years. Not so much. Not so much because you're, you know, you're looking, you know, all over the place. But, yeah, yeah you, you kind of get a sense and a feel for, for, you know, the team that they've the kind of picked for themselves. Because mm-hmm. it's all about the team now, right? Oh you've my. got the coach, you've got the caddy, you've got the trainer, you got the parents, you got everything. Got the sports psychologist. You got it. So yeah. but you can tell. Yeah. You you can tell uh as far as people's games, how they you know, just how they walk, how they they compose themselves. Interesting. I think one of the most Im- 
compelling things that I'm sure the listeners want to know about is just the personalities. And we're just going to go kind of one by one because there are very often that we get a chance to sit down with somebody that deals with them all the time. Highest ranked players got to be Xander Shoffley. Mm-hmm. Xander seems to be a well-grounded, good dude. Uh, obviously a super ball striker. Talk to us about Xander Shoffley, what you see in his game, what you see him as a person, and how important is he to the Callaway brand? Um, as a person, he is another one of those guys that shakes your hand every time, mm-hmm. remembers your name every time, uh, very diligent on lofts and lies, very diligent on um, knowing what he likes. He's mm-hmm. another guy that, that – this is what I like to see. It could be face angle. It could be, you know, something that had to do with the leading edge of an iron. But with him, you always know where you stand. And, really? And I like it. I like that. Um, as far as his game, he has struggled a little bit this year with the flat stick. Uh, he switched putters uh, two or three times. Um, as soon as he finds something with the putter, I mean, he's still – Strokes gain maybe two or three. Once he starts picking up a few more than that with the putter, yeah, it'll it'll click. And he's been right there for yeah. a few majors. Um, he's he's you know he's had success with us, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's coming. Yeah, I'm always thinking like when I think of Xander Shoffley, he's like a, he's on the fence right now, in my opinion, because there are a lot of players that have stuck their nose in a bunch of major championships and didn't win. And then some of them break through and some of them never break through. Like Steve Stricker strikes me as somebody who has been in the mix so many times mm-hmm. and never won one. And you're like, how did he not win one? How is that possible? Yeah. And, he, and it just seems like every time Xander's in the, in the mix, he runs into a buzzsaw of somebody played out of their mind that week. Yeah. And he played good enough to win. But didn't. Yeah. And I would imagine, like, that's one of the more uh, challenging pieces for the tour player is the I – w- I would imagine, like, because he's – he's probably got to be ranked in the top ten. Yep, yep. And he hasn't won a major yet, and he's in that group of people that he get the question, Are you, do you feel like you're the best player that hasn't won a major yet? When, when are you going to get yours? What, I, mean, I can't imagine how difficult those questions are, but he's fun. one of he's, – he's certainly one of my kids' favorite players, sure. Sandra Shoffley. sure. And I just love the way he carries himself. So that's one of the first people yeah. I wanted to know about. He does. And he's, you know, I ask him every time he comes to the door, I'm like, you sold your car yet? And he's like, no, I'm driving it till the wheels fall out. He still has his 2015 Camry. <laughs> Dead serious. Still well, if he's got to wait for that car to fall the wheels right. off, it's going to be like gonna 2032. Be yeah. I mean, he, um, his caddy, Austin, really good dude. Really cool. And we try to, you know, we try to maybe go out to eat with those guys every two or three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and most players, if, if they're up for it, some guys, you know, they keep to themselves, and I get it. Mm-hmm. But he's one that's – he's very open, and he's very he's, – he's happy to, to, to help us out whenever we need something. So. And he plays – he plays the Apex Pros, but the one that doesn't have the uh, – um, the, the badging. The, or yeah, the, the, yeah. So yeah. he plays the, a version of the Apex Pro, which was designed um, – with his previous iron mm-hmm. in mind, yeah. Um, so at Travelers, I we got the first heads prototypes for him, built them. He had a, probably an hour or two session with them, and came back in the truck. These are all milled heads, laser welded, so they are very, very 
very hard to make. They take mm. a lot of time, a lot of patience, you know, a lot of computer work. Um, built them, and then he says, the leading edge is not right. I need some bounce taken off leading edge and the leading edge squared. So here I am taking milled irons, they're one-offs, and just going to town on wow. the grinding wheels. And it's, you know, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. Sure. But he'll look down at it, he'll sit there, and he'll watch me grind it, and he'll look down at it. Nope, more, more, more. I'm like, Xander, I'm, I'm starting to get into swing weight stuff here. I'm going to have to start adding lead tape. And eventually, you know, they looked horrible because we had six, seven grams of lead tape on the back of them to make up for swing weight. But sure. we had to have something that we could, you know, take back to HQ, mm-hmm. scan it, remill it, try again. So Got it took it. two or three times to do that. Interesting. But it was uh, it, it was it's an easy process because it doesn't have the cup face in it though his irons don't have the cup face it does not yeah so we have a couple different versions out there that that were actually designed off of his um we have a couple guys that play the cup face guys that need help with distance and still want a small iron but most guys play a version made from xanders that are very little offset very thin top line in my opinion the last the apex pros that came out last year were probably as good of an iron as i've i've ever hit yeah yeah so solid like obviously they they have a touch of forgiveness and some heat they do. They do. uh in the longer irons cuz i didn't i got the ones with the cup face in it mm-hmm. but wow do you notice so the difference good. in feel at all with the with, with the, the cup face yes okay a little bit in the sound which mm-hmm. is the feel obviously mm-hmm. i think the most yeah. people need to understand that what you feel is what you hear and i didn't get my dose of that until um i was with Snedeker at TaylorMade mm-hmm. uh back in 04 and they were they made us hit with earplugs in that deafened us so we couldn't hear and we couldn't tell the difference between the top flight and the balada. Nope. And I was like, really? Yep. <clears throat> that was a that was a wake up call for me because I didn't, you know that was early in my my teaching career and my and it was kind of interesting to be yeah. twenty six years old working with a tour yeah. player. But at the end of the day, that was a riveting sure. moment for me, like wow. So there is no you can't actually nope. feel the difference. I remember. It's what you hear. I remember when I was working retail, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, and a a certain manufacturer brought uh, that has never really made a forged iron, uh, but very good manufacturer, and they brought some irons, no badging, no nothing. Mm-hmm. They said, "Tell us which one is forged." There were three irons. They said, "But you have to wear earplugs." Nobody from a plus three to a twenty handicap could tell the difference. Could tell a difference. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. It is. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. But I noticed that if if I really got on a four iron, especially in, in the heat of competition, I'd hit it over the green some. And I was okay with it because most of the time it was a par five. Sure. But I was just like, I hit it, and I'm like, that sounded like it had a little nuke in it. Right. And for 99% of the world, everybody's loving that feeling. Sure. And I think that's that, flushed. And, yeah. yeah, it's really good. I mean, really, I would imagine the next question I wanted to ask you is like right now, essentially, Callaway is at the top of the game. Yeah. And essentially, I mean, obviously, there are other brands. You know, Vokey makes a good wedge and a comparable to the, the, the Jaws. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, Odyssey's number one putter in the world, but a lot of people talk about Scotty Cameron. And then there's the Callaway driver, and we talk about TaylorMade. But at the end of the day, soup to nuts. I'm not sure that anybody can touch Callaway from driver to ball, and that goes all the way through the wedge into the putter. Right. What's it like re- working for and representing a brand that's at the top of the game right now? It's it's fun. Timing for me was awesome. <clears throat> like I said earlier, this is my fifth year, um, 
and when I started, um, it was XR. Mm-hmm. So the ball was kind of rolling with XR, and then Epic came out mm-hmm. in uh, 17, and with the jailbreak, and that was a game changer. You know, it was it was it was faster all across the face. It was more forgiving. Um, it, it was it was unbelievable as far as technology goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just kept rolling with jailbreak, um, yeah. with uh, Rogue, uh, Epic Flash, and now here we are, Maverick. Um, the woods, the fairway wood is is something that's gotten better exponentially. I think. I think that's the sneaky sneaky part of the line this year is the fairway wood. Yeah, I um, agree. With the iron, um, like you said earlier, Apex, the Maverick iron, the Maverick Pro iron is awesome. Yes, well, really good iron. Uh, good feel, even with a cup face, it 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 feel. I think it feels just as good, if not better, than the Apex Pro. But that's that's saying a lot. And uh, the jaws wedges, uh, what Roger's done this year with the with the groove and with the shapes and with the grinds, it's it's really special. That, that was pretty well received on the tour, wasn't Very it? Very well. Very easy transition. Yeah. Um, and that's rare with wedges. Sometimes it takes a little while, um, depending on the player. But yeah. Very very good. Uh, very good transition very good trajectory and spin control yes very impressed with uh, with that what they've done with the jaws and not that the the md md4s were oh, great wedge great yeah. wedge but mm-hmm. every once in a while they when they upgrade which is what they do every year <laughs> some upgrades are more profound than others right and i think that the the fairway wood and the wedges are pretty profound in Something that was already pretty good that right. got wow. Yeah, uh, with the with the wedge, with the groove and the wedge shape and the grinds. Um, a lot of guys on tour go into a wider sole, lower bounce grind, um, and we've seen it for a while, and we never had that option. You know, yeah. We just had the W grind, which was a lot of bounce. Yeah, and we would take and grind, to, you know, some bounce off of it, and maybe some heel relief. Uh, but it's a T grind now for us, and I'll think they might be coming out with that retailed that down right? the road mm-hmm. um you know they kind of released the raw wedges down the down mm-hmm. uh, as, as a as a line extension or whatever mm-hmm. but they might release some of those some of those tour only grinds that we have but some of those have have really have gained a lot of uh, traction yeah my, my favorite so far is the low bounce w yeah it's, it's nice. really good oh i could have that in my uh, 58 okay <clears throat> and it's 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 magnificent as it pertains to the the maverick driver um, <clears throat> I was on record stating that it was going to take an act of Congress to get the Epic Flash <laughs> out of my bag. Because really, last year, I'm not sure I've ever driven the golf ball as well as I did. And a lot of credit goes to the people that designed the AI, and I want to get into that a little bit too, but that driver was so awesome. So when I, I, I talked with the people at Callaway, and like, oh, I can't wait for you to try the Maverick. I'm like, I just need you to know there's a a reasonably good chance that <clears throat> I'm not going to play that driver because I hit the flash so good. Right. And we get that a lot too. Three balls later, <laughs> they're like, Oh, so what do you think? I'm an like, Epic. What? Never heard of it. Yeah. What do you, what do you sense? What are you hearing out there about why it's so well received? I mean, Kepka's playing it. Uh, and I'm sure it's, it's gotta be the number one non-contractual driver that's being played right now. If you're not being case. paid to play it, what, who's playing it? Like that to me, that's right. the barometer right. of who's making the best stuff. Sure. Is if you're not getting paid to play it, what are you playing? Absolutely. And it's it is so good. What what are you what are you hearing that they did? What do you know that they've done to make that driver better than the Epic Flash? <clears throat> uh, 
So still jailbreak, still um, AI face. So the bottom of the driver without the track in the back, the mm-hmm. weight track of, of the Epic Flash, uh, they've made it a lot more aerodynamic. So with the same swing speed of if you're swinging 110, physically it's a faster swing. So it's uh, faster through the through whatever. Impact. Okay. Impact, yep. So uh, AI face, it's just a version 2. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the version 2 of the AI face, um, they call it spin robustness. So the spin is more predictable across the face. Yep. So when you're hitting it in the heel, you have a 10.5-degree driver, you miss it in the heel, what's well, 8, 7 degrees, but you've got a lot of spin to keep that ball in the air. Yeah. So... And vice versa on the toe. When you have it on the toe, ten and a half degrees, it may be thirteen degrees, but you're spinning it maybe five hundred RPMs lower. Yeah. So anywhere you miss the ball in the face with this new one, it is way more predictable. It is way closer together. So you won't have shots that are five, six hundred RPMs spinning off the map, high or low. Your misses are more predictable. Mm-hmm. And the spin and the ball speed are way closer together no matter where you hit it on the face. I, I definitely noticed that it is a way better driver on a mishit toe ball and a low heeler. Mm-hmm. Like that to me, like that's the wow piece. Yeah. A lot of drivers are really good when you hit in the sure. center of the face. Sure, they're all, yeah. But I, I played uh, on Sunday and my back was bothering me really bad and I, I was playing, having a good time. But I didn't have my game, but I still drove it literally ridiculously good. And people were asking me, you know, what do you think about the driver? And obviously when you hit it 325 still, people still want to, they'll still ask you. And I'm like, you know what I don't understand yet is why my miss hits are flying so much farther. Like that's the big difference to me is the miss hits are flying so that the only person that knows it's not good is me. Right. Everybody else is like, great drive. I'm like, yeah, yeah not so I much. didn't really hit that one. I didn't hit that one very good. <laughs> but it's been very well received on the tour immediately, too, has it not? Very well received. One thing we did this year, we have several shapes and not shapes, several heads on tour, a few different shapes. But uh, we did not change our uh, our number one and number two models as far as um, look mm. or, or, you know, look at a dress. Um, there's one model that we have predominantly that that works very well on tour, and it's uh, the Maverick Triple Diamond. Mm-hmm. So it is a little smaller head, um, a little bit open, very neutral CG, but mid-launch, kind of a with the flash, with that head, Triple Diamond, it was a, more of a like a five, six, seven-yard fade. With the Maverick version of the Triple Diamond, it maybe is a one or two yard falling fade. Now that's on a robot. Yeah. So, but guys love that driver. They love the look. Uh, a little deeper face, a little higher toe, um, but it's very traditional yeah. looking, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh-huh. But it's we didn't change it a lot. You know, yeah. we just put the new technology in, new face, um, more consistent on the face, and and guys love it. Yeah. So that's cool. Francesco Molinari. Um, He's struggling right now, and uh, I think that he and Jordan Spieth drank out of the same cup on the twelfth hole at Augusta National because they haven't quite re- recovered from the de- from the debacle that was a guaranteed Masters victory that all of a sudden wasn't. Right. Um, when when you're around Francesco Molinari, are you sensing that it's mostly in his head that's bothering him, or what? What are you seeing right now? Because 
It wasn't but a year ago that he was on top of the world. Everything. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it was his to lose. Yeah. Stepping on the first tee. Uh, you know what? We that That's the million dollar question. You know, we ask ourselves every morning in a Monday morning tour meeting, you know, what's the difference in, in Molinari's game and Xander's game and, and Phil's game? And it's it's very minuscule. It's it's you know we we've always said it's less than one shot. Yeah. You know less than one shot on four days. It's it's unbelievable. But with Molinari, he is he is all business. He is a man of very few words, and he knows exactly what he wants. He gets in there and gets out and doesn't dilly dally yeah. or doesn't do anything. Huh. You know, it's there's all, no wasted motion. It's all yeah. It's all business with him. That's interesting. Uh, but yeah, it's it's hard to put a finger on it. But you know, numbers wise, it's it's short game. Yeah. So no, is that right? The numbers yeah. are showing short game. Mm -hmm. I think it's always fascinating. I talk about this all the time. Is that you're only one shot away from feeling like you can beat anybody, and you're only one shot away from feeling like you can beat nobody. And literally, he is the absolute figurehead okay. of one shot. Mm -hmm. He went from this is my green jacket yep. to. Where'd he go? What happened? Yeah. And for those of you out there that are, that are wondering like how that's the case, it usually has to do with the word expectations. When the expectations get invol involved in the process, and all of a sudden he started to see it. And I'm not even sure he hit a bad shot. I just think that the 12th hole is not something that you can mess around with, and no, I have personal experience there. <laughs> I have personal, especially being right-handed. Yes. Now, I have an advantage yes. there because if I pull it, That's true. I got green on my side. And if I yep. kind of heel cut it, I got green on my side. Right-handers, it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, Tiger kind of hit a little little yank pull. And, oh, and had a, what, 25-footer that day? Yeah. yeah. But everybody else rinsed it. Kepka, mm -hmm. Finau, Molinari mm -hmm. all rinsed it off. And obviously it played into, obviously, the greatest comeback in the history of sport. Um, uh, but that was uh, unbelievable. That was unbelievable. So you, uh, you were a great uh, junior player, college, before you uh, ended up on a tour van. And it's it's fascinating to to listen to the people that I've taught from a long time ago. Mm -hmm. When you when you are out there now and you you see what's made it compared to where you were, <laughs> what do you like? What are some of the things that you see? in the players, how they prepare and or what they're going through that you could pass on to the, the juniors out there that are, that are listening about what they should be trying to pay attention to when it comes to taking their game to the next level and what not to be paying attention to. Don't pay attention to numbers. Don't get caught up in the track man stuff. Um, it's a nice tool. Don't get me wrong, but mm. I think it's getting, uh, it's getting out of hand. You know, some of these guys out here carry it with them like they carry – you know, uh, a their wallet. Yeah, a wallet or a female will carry their purse everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them have to have it on a rain session or they don't know what to do. Um, work ethic. Uh, these guys, you know, they spend twice as much time on the green and around the green than they do on the range. Um, that goes without saying. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, when I was young, it was, you know, it was worth work ethic and, and, with the tools that they have now, just don't get get caught up with with all the you know uh -huh. with the track mans and just it's. I find it fascinating you say that because you know right now the big buzz is 
on two fronts. One on the, the, the coaches, the analytics people, they're talking about how important it is on strokes gained off the tee and how important driving the golf ball long and relatively straight playable would probably be the best word. I agree. And, but yet you don't see people wailing on drivers, mainly because when you get to be 46 years old, like me, you hit about 10 drivers and you got nothing left for the rest of the week. I know it. But, uh, they talk about the strokes gained approach and strokes gained, uh, off the tee, but in all actuality, those things are kind of turned to givens. Sure. And it's the people who win or the people that putt good that week, or at least right. putt better than their average. It's probably 100%. a better way for me to say it. They putt better than their average right. that week. Because generally speaking, the tour players hit it pretty much the same. They pretty do. much. They do. And it's all a game of misses. I mean, I don't have to tell you that, but yeah. um, who's ever hitting it the best and who's ever making the putts? You know, it seems like, the ten foot putt is is something that, um, and we were talking about this earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. The ten foot putt, as far as how many you're supposed to make and what the tour guys make, it's 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 unbelievable how that number makes or breaks a week for yeah. some of these guys. You know, you see stats on on TV. Well, they were you know sixty five or seventy percent from ten feet in, where. If if you or I are doing that on a weekend, we're we're shooting the round of our life. Yeah, you know, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I, I I think the short game is really getting getting pushed to the wayside. Yeah, it's almost like and, and and the best players in the world love it because they keep working on it, and everybody else is spending time chasing other strokes gained pieces. But sure. They just miss the fact. And that's why I try to tell these kids, yes, it's important to hit it long. I'm not discounting the fact that yeah. it's, it's almost a given now. Yeah. But it's the ability to turn three shots into two and two into one. Right. That changes the game. And it really only takes a handful of sure. them in a day to change your mindset about how good you are, even though you're not a different player right. than you were the day before. And the kids, the younger kids nowadays, they think that to be successful, they have to be a Brooks or a DJ or a Xander or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Whereas there's plenty of guys that have never won a PGA Tour event and are sitting really pretty right now. Oh, yeah. That if they walk past us in the airport, you wouldn't know who they are without a hat on. Yeah. But if you can keep your tour card for 15 or 20 years, that's a pretty good life. Yeah. I, I'll never forget it. So, you know, you know Harry Taylor. So, yeah. Harry Taylor... Yeah was the first tour player that I worked with. Mm-hmm. And, and he was also the designer of Mizuno Irons. Yeah. Mizuno Irons were the best, were the number one iron on the Legendary tour. Legendary iron, yeah. And uh, I remember him talking to Brant. And he says, no, nah, and this is, Brant's talking to Harry as Tiger is in 2000, 2001, and probably the greatest golf that we've ever seen played mm-hmm. in our lifetime. And Brant's talking about, how am I ever going to compete with Tiger? I can't drive it like Tiger. I can't hit my irons like Tiger. And Harry just, I just, I remember, he just got tired of it. And he's like, hey, buddy, let me, let, me, let me tell you something. You should be way more concerned about trying to figure out how to stay out here. Absolutely. Than to try to chase Tiger Woods. Because this is a great life. That's, yeah, that's exactly what and I was saying. I wish, yeah. more, I wish more kids, especially these, like, obviously, I'm out I'm of high school with a bunch of great sure. players. But the, it's, they have to go to college, generally speaking. They've got to go to college first. Mm-hmm. If they could understand and appreciate how hard it is to be Brian Gay. Yeah. How hard it is to be... Kirk Triplett, yeah, you know Skip Kendall. Those guys played for thirty years, right? Brian's still playing, yeah. And (laughs) they can literally go to Domino's Pizza, yeah, and nobody has to worry about a thing. Go to the movies, won't even know anything about it. Nobody has. You don't have to be Tiger Woods or Rory 
to be a successful golfer. Right. You don't have to hit it 320 every time. You can hit it, you know. It's it's few and far between, but you can hit it 270, 280 and wedge it up there yeah. and make a putt and still win a major. That's exactly right. You know, it's it's hard to do. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but you can do it. Yeah. Well, how did you get involved in the club-making tour van world because you were a player and like and then you you went you left nashville yep. uh, for a while and so and then you weren't involved in that in the tour world or in the club the club business where did you pick that up and how did you get to where you are today so moving to knoxville for school um after playing in college kind of got burnt out um moved to knoxville worked in a golf shop for a few years and kind of decided, okay, I think golf is what I want to do. There's a good saying, and you'll get a kick out of this, (laughs) that uh, those that don't, uh, that can't play teach and those that can't teach build. That's where I fell in. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) So, interesting. (laughs) So worked in a golf shop, kind of set my eyes on a manufacturer, uh, had a few desk jobs, Decided, nah, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. Go back to golf. Uh, worked in another retail shop. Uh, caddied for a little bit uh, down in Florida and in North Carolina, a couple private clubs. Um, and then got a break uh, with Cleveland Golf. So worked on their – they had fitting vans. Yeah. So there were four fitting vans across the nation. There were uh, four two-man teams, um, and we would kind of be regional. So we would kind of follow the weather um, when it got, you know – cold everywhere but florida maybe texas arizona we'd be there when it started warming up we would go to midwest and you know kind of up to the east (coughs) east coast and work our way up and and mostly private clubs so one of us would fit and one of us would build so it was four demo days a week maybe five hours a day and one guy was fitting you know eight nine guys in a day and the other guy was building their golf clubs so it was a tour experience Mm -hmm. so Sometimes you'd be building four or five sets of irons a day and maybe 15 woods. So you're building for maybe 10 or 11 hours a day sometimes. You know, when they got done fitting, they were in there helping you build. But I didn't know anything about building until I started there. Really? It was kind of a trial by fire. Oh, wow. Um, So you better learn how to do it quick and you better be fast. So you're not going to last. So uh, building at retail. And building it tour is a little bit different. So <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, there's a there's a different level of precision. Of a, <laughs> exactly. Just a different level of precision. <laughs> sometimes you're going for speed, and and sometimes you're going for precision. But um, left Cleveland, uh, worked for Adams Golf for a short stint as as a tour rep. Actually, um, they were bought out by another manufacturer. Um, you know, last one in, first one out. So I've been laid off a couple times in this business. Yeah. Um, Tucked my head between my legs and kind of went, you know, uh, back to work in retail. Didn't want mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then, you know, a friend of mine said, hey, Callaway's hiring for a tour builder. I think you'd be good for it. And it was a guy that I actually knew from Cleveland. Oh, Golf. Wow. So, small business. Yeah. Very small world out there. Uh, and uh, one of the guys I uh, mentioned earlier, Kellen, um, is our T rep now. He did this job for uh, probably three or four years. Yeah. And he's local to Nashville here. Yeah, he's a great uh, dude. Yeah. And uh, put me on with uh, with them as well. So, and the rest is history. Yeah, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the ball 
the ball, the, the, and this is going to be perfect because by the time this podcast comes out, everybody will get a chance to experience the the new Chrome Soft X and the Chrome Soft. Right. And I think the diamond's staying in the in the in the in the fray too, right? The the current uh, ball with the triple track on it. Is yep. that correct? Yep, I believe what, so. And that's a great ball too. It is. It's it's kind of a mid spin, mid flight ball. Um, that's the ball I like. Yeah, that's the um, ball that I'm. I'm like, I love that yeah, ball. But that's I'm a really good. Ball. I'm hearing the buzz on the black ball. <laughs> it's going to come out in March, and this is, right. this podcast like is also going to come out in March. Okay, so it's going to be poignant. Talk to Perfect. us about the ball and what makes it so wow. Okay, so the current ball is a uh, dual-core golf ball. It's very hard to make. The new golf ball, which is uh, a single-core golf ball, um, is a little easier to make, but we have made upgrade several upgrades to uh, our golf ball plant in Chicopee, Massachusetts. So we've had some issues with uh, some QC um, uh, in the golf ball. I'm sure uh, most people have seen if they've dug far enough yeah. uh, within uh, within some of the uh, you know social media stuff, the uh, cores being off or whatever. Uh-huh. And you know that's going to happen if you make you know if you a million make a, golf balls a day. That's going to happen. Uh, but we have perfect. we have we have spent you know we've had quite a bit of an investment, uh, fifty million plus dollars, to add a new uh, state of the art mixer. So they had to physically take this mixer. Take a crane, drop it in uh, the base of it, build it up so it's four stories tall. Wow. They had to raise the roof um, four stories at our new plant to, to put this new mixer in. Um, they have a three-axis x-ray machine. So every other golf ball company manufacturer that I've heard of only has a one-axis x-ray machine. So they're only measuring one axis yeah. uh, where that course is centered. Hmm. So. We have stepped up our game and, and trying to get ahead of some of the QC issues. So every ball that goes through that plant, and when I say every ball, not just tour, every single golf ball that comes through that plant and you see in a golf shop is measured three times to see if that core is centered. Wow. So we are trying to not just, you know, be as good as our competitor, but leapfrog our competitor and taking you know, putting putting steps in place to, to get in front of stuff. but That's awesome. Yeah. So we have tried to, to make the investment and, and to do the right thing. And, and you know, we know we had a problem. Uh-huh. And we are uh, trying Addressed our best it. to, yeah, to, to address it. Yeah. How well was the ball received right out of the gate? Unbelievable. Really? Uh, feel, sound, um, around the greens, and just like the Maverick consistency. Yeah. So with, with with those half shots, those nip shots, those those sixty to eighty yard shots, um, when you have sometimes a ball that's that's not the way it should be, you will get a floater. You will get a shot that that doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and you know you and I or Joe Public mm-hmm. may not can see that, but when these guys practice as much as they do and and see that out on tour. They know something's up. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to be around the very, very best. Yes. Uh, their level of feel kind of rattles my cage a little bit. I remember the first time I had a dose of it was with Brant. And he was playing, at the time he was playing the uh, Mizuno MP30s. Mm-hmm. And he loved them, but the grooves were wearing out in like five of his irons. And Harry, Harry got him, he built them exactly the same same weight same everything 
but the the new grooves were spinning the ball more than he had mm-hmm. seen in like over a year. So he was hitting it like four yards shorter. And he was wearing Harry out so bad. And I'm like, how do you know? How do you, like, what are you talking about? It looks yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. He goes, that's why you're teaching it, and that's why I'm playing it. So sit over there and shut up. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, Snedeker's got a, he's got a nice soft touch. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, but they are amazing. That, that happens. And know, I can't imagine guys... what, what, like, I think Tiger might be in his own world. Because I mean, if you watch some of the things that he talks about, I'll give Tiger his. Okay? Uh, I but I think Mickelson is eerily close. He, yeah. He's to got, what you he know can what? Sense. He, the first time I met Phil, he walked in the truck with four eight irons. And I'm like, four eight, four eight irons. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? He goes, Kevin, I'm telling you, these clubs are all the same, but we got to check the loft and lie. One's a half, one's a half degree stronger, one's a half degree weaker, one's a sixteenth of an inch longer. Something's going on. And sure enough, he was right on loft and lie. He was exactly right. He says, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's feel. I don't know, but they're off and he knew exactly which one was too flat and which one was strong it was unbelievable wow. I was like, i'll never question him so i do he's because he knows the question if he asks you a question he's one of those guys where he already knows the answer he's testing you yes he's fig jam yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> he is fig jam and, of course he you know when i'm putting them in there and in the loft lie machine he's right here you know, he's he's three inches from my yeah. head, just you watching, can feel, you can, you making can, sure, yeah. You can like feel and you're turning his around, like, he's. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. What what's the uh, what's the greatest moment that you've had on the PGA Tour on the van? Um, probably my. I think it was my second year. Um. I can't remember if it was, I guess it was second year. Um, Hadwin shot 59 in the desert. Oh, yeah. And I think I built 12 or 13, 12 of those golf clubs. That was one of the coolest things that that I'd been a part of. You yeah. Know, you see guys win majors and you built a, maybe a club or two, and that's awesome. Mm. But 59 was pretty cool. And that was super early for yeah. me for Callaway. So that was my, like I said, second year and like, first event of the year uh-huh. you know so that was that was pretty cool yeah that's awesome well i can tell you right now that most of these people have no idea the uh, trials and tribulations of being a truck driver <laughs> that's the other part <laughs> so being a trucker mm-hmm. tell, tell me about what it's like being on a truck driving from right? california to florida well <laughs> i just got off the road two days ago from doing that so um Going to going to gas stations or truck stops, as you call it, it is you know you wonder how these guys pass the physical, getting out of a truck. It's like you know really your 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 blood pressure is under 150. There ain't no way. Yeah. But it's it's you know we kind of wear two hats. There's there's 12 of us that that you know I call it, call it the the traveling you know circus mm-hmm. that that do this job you know whether it's you know different manufacturers or whatever uh, and a lot of times we'll run together you know uh, two or three of us at one time uh-huh. uh, but just drafting just drafting that's right <laughs> uh, you know middle of West Texas yeah you know when the speed limit is 80 miles an hour you're getting past we're not obviously going that fast but it's 3,000 miles. It's a lot of podcasts. It's a lot of XM radio. Oh yeah. It's a lot of uh, 
it's a lot of boring times. It's it's not fancy. Yeah, that's um, so true. Yeah, it is. It is not the part of the job where you know you see us rolling out of a major and it's cool and everything, but we're driving another thousand miles. Yeah, like this year, the PGA is not doing us any favors putting the uh, uh, PGA Championship at Harding Park. Oh my God! That's in between right. our Dallas events. Oh, so like oh, Dallas, San Francisco, Dallas. Oh, it's perfect, isn't it? <laughs> So they started this last year. So Beth Page. So we went went from our shortest drive from Dallas to Fort Worth, which was thirty five miles. <laughs> now it's Dallas, Beth Page, Fort Worth. Oof. So they added about thirty four hundred miles, thirty five hundred miles. Wow. Yeah. So that's actually one of the drives where we have to get. And I'm fortunate to have uh, Simon, my cohort. Uh, that helps me drive 10 or 12 times a year. And he also is our rep for uh, irons and wedges. He builds a little bit and, mm-hmm. and focuses on the tee as well. Uh, but he helps me drive. He yeah. came over from our European team a couple of years ago. Uh, but it's nice having him or else I wouldn't be able to, to do some of these drives by yeah. myself and still have, you know, we have hours that we have to abide by yeah. and we can't physically drive and work sometimes. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit dicey because we, we only get so many hours to work during the week. Yeah, it's so, so true. Interesting. So true. And I think that's the one thing that I find fascinating is that your job to the layperson looks like gravy train. Oh, yeah. It's great. But it's it's far from gravy train. Different place every week and, Diff- yeah. you know, different office. And you get to talk to these players and you get to, I'm like, well, I'm still in a hotel. I think last year I did 215, 220 nights wow. in a hotel. So it's 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 a lot of nights away from home yeah it's we don't drive that much it's maybe mm. i think last year it was like forty one thousand miles it's, just forty one thousand you know what some people do that in a car a year but it's 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 not all it's cracked up to yeah, be when you're driving dri- you're driving a house baby <laughs> right well one of the things that i like to do on my show is we've talked a lot about what it is that you do great and it's <laughs> some of the coolest stories that people can get but every, everybody has to deal with difficulties and, and challenges in their life. And I, you have had a, a very unique one. And I think it's really important for us to, to talk about it because you're on the other side of it. And I'm not saying that you're over it, but I mean, you've, you've, you've been able to maintain what you do and do it well. But you and, and Lacey had a very traumatic situation happen last year in which you, uh, you, were, you had a child and, and it passed away. Talk to us about the, what you, what, what's going on inside of you when that happens. And how, obviously it's not over and it'll never be over. But how, how have you been able to move past that to the point where you can still do what you do? Uh, great question. So... Mitchell was, I'm just going to give you a little backstory. Uh, Mitchell was um, uh, born uh, on the 15th of July um, at 8 Mm a.m. And he was with us um, for just under maybe an hour. Um, He made it to 20, I think 23 weeks, um, if I recall. And he, uh, he did not have enough lung development. Um, to to make it past um maybe an hour um so that for for my wife Lacey and i it was it's it's indescribable uh what we've gone through um i'm very thankful for for family and friends that have kind of been there for us um 
but it was it was super difficult you know me being on the road uh, and that happening while I was on the road I, you know I was I was up the road in, in Lexington when I got that phone call and that was the longest I think two and a half hour drive I think I'll ever make in my life is coming yeah. back here uh, to, to try to make it back before he was born uh, prematurely but um, it's something that uh, I think has made us you know better people um, coming out of the other side of it um, you know I try to carry him at work every day and, and try to be you know you know just just kind of live out his memory and everything I do um, but I, I don't I don't know how hard I got through it but but we we, we certainly have tried to make the best of it uh, but it's it's it, it was a difficult time and still is sometimes. Uh, I don't I don't I can't like to, to me having two boys and I can't even wrap my head around it. So obviously knowing both of you for so long and but unfortunately not really being able to see you for a really long time. I mean I've 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 I'm seen never you here. occasionally, <laughs> but I mean I had gone probably maybe outside of seeing y'all at, at Cheesecake Factory, I probably hadn't seen you in once in 15 years. And I, I, all of a sudden, I'm following along on, on social media, and I'm like, uh, this isn't good. And then a very close friend of ours, Matt Gallant, uh, was in town, and he did a podcast with me. And mm-hmm. he's like, buddy, it's, uh, this is going to be, we have to, we're going to have to pray for him because this is going to be a tough one. And then, obviously, when I, when I found out about it, I was just sick to my stomach because, yeah. obviously, I'm not even trying to be you, but sure. like, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a friend, I'm sitting right. thinking, well, there's really not anything you can say, right? and there's not really much you can do. It is. It's tough. It is like the one of the... Well, I, I, I'm... Ay, ay, ay. But what I can tell you both from over here on the spectator side of it, I don't have any idea how much strength that you guys have. But I tip my cap to you, and I believe that if anybody's out there who's had to deal with a tragedy, to know what kind of strength that it takes to get back up on your feet and still do what you do, and whether you, you do it for Mitchell or you do it because of Mitchell, it doesn't really make a difference. You have found a strength within yourself that you probably didn't know you had. No, I agree. To be the best version of Kevin Napier. Yeah. And as your former coach and a longtime friend, I don't know what to say to you other than I'm proud of you because I can't I can't put myself in that place. Yeah. Thank you. But um, well, I, I think that that's uh, one of the most important pieces that I try to bring out in my show is that. We just sat here and talked for an hour about how awesome things are. And in all actuality, you're doing awesome things with a level of pain that, and everybody's struggling out there, but you're dealing with a level of pain that, unfortunately or unfortunately, 95% of the people in the world never have to face. And I I tip my cap to y'all on that because that shows a level of, well, commitment and courage, but faith. Faith in yourself and faith in others. And then at the end of the day, that's what it takes because yeah. we can't go through this journey alone. Right. You know? 
And when you, when you have great people with you, you know, you, you got your family, you got family. Lacey, mm -hmm. and you got all these great people. It's a lot easier when you cling to the things that are important to you. Absolutely. And remember that, that whatever happened was produced through love. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing to remember. And I think that, of course, I can't imagine, but of all the things that I read about when it comes to dealing with these kind of traumas is that the pain is so powerful that it kind of disrupts things. Yeah, and I, I would, I would be, I have no idea. My, my just, I just want you to keep in mind that I can't fathom the pain, but I, I know that you have a rock beside you. Yeah. And it's important to remember that when things are tough because I can't, I can't fathom it, but my hat's off to you because you, you've done a great job. Both of you have, and Thank I, you. I, I took my cap to y'all. It's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, and, and her and I, a lot of ups and downs. Um, how could you not? A lot of therapy, yeah. a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of help. Yeah. Like you said, with family and, and, and people that you never thought would, would reach out or, or even, you know, say anything to you, uh, have reached out and spoke up and, and on our behalf. And, uh, it, it, it means a lot to us. Yeah. So. I, well, I mean, obviously y'all know that I'll, I'll be here for you anytime you need anything you. you need because I can't, uh, I mean, I've had to deal with some kicks in the teeth, Yeah, but not that one. Well, the second half of the show is about the things that you do to fill your cup up. We do and, a lot of that. And, and I think <laughs> that it's, well, obviously it, uh, in this particular story, it's a wonderful segue because if you don't, it's a bad situation, right? It's a bad situation to think about. So historically speaking, when we're talking about recharging the batteries, we're talking about things that bring a lot of people together, like-mindedness, and they generally are live music, sporting events, and what I call the communitas of wine and food uh, that bring people together. And I, after touring your house, you have really one of the most <laughs> incredible uh, museums of of music uh, tours and events that you've been to. Right. Music obviously plays a huge role in both uh, y'all and Lacey's life. Talk to us about your favorite your favorite music and, and your favorite events that you like to go see. Man, we uh, we like to do a lot as far as her and I and, and going to, to concerts and um, her being a giant Dave Matthews fan is an understatement but never heard of him yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, if 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 I didn't have any you know like or, or didn't like Dave Matthews I was out of the picture yeah. I, I learned that very quickly so the contract um, was pretty clear. Yes, it was very clear. <laughs> the first line of the contract must love, not like love. DMB. Yes. Uh, so her and I, you know, she's, she's probably been to, I would say north of 75 shows. I've been, uh, fortunate enough to, to probably go to 30 or 35 of those with her. Um, we've been overseas to see him, um, you know, Amsterdam, Paris, probably my favorite venue, uh, uh, to see him at is a place in Washington called the Gorge. 
Um, uh, that's a place I really want to go. What was it like? It's unbelievable. It's you know, it's it's right up there with Red Rocks, and I've never been to Red Rocks, but just imagining what that is and what this place is, it's hard to believe that Red Rocks is 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 better than Gorge. But Gorge, it's 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 an amphitheater that sits on the uh, Columbia River uh, Gorge, and it's it's basically a bluff or drop off right behind the stage, wow. of maybe six, seven, eight hundred feet, and the sun sets right behind the stage. Oh. And it is unbelievable. And um, every year, usually Dave plays three shows. Um, back to back to back. Back right? to back to back. Uh, and it's on Labor Day, so they call it Labor Dave weekend. It's, uh, oh, nice. It's, you know, we go camping. You can see, I've never seen more stars in my life sitting out there. It's about yeah. three hours, uh, two and a half hours inland of uh, in Washington. But it is one of the prettiest places I've ever seen. And to be able to sit and listen to live music. You know, yeah. it's that much better. And we're not sitting in the back. We're always sitting up. We, we we're in his wait back in pocket. line. We're yeah, in his we back wait pocket. in line. You reach out, say hey. But we are always waiting in line and putting the time in, you know, to run up there and get up front. So, so. when he, when he wrote the song Crash Into Me, he was just talking about yeah, you guys Lacey, standing in line. Like, you running into it. Hey, yeah. you, you crashed into me. Yeah. What the heck's going what on? What are right? you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, you know, a lot of my listeners uh, probably aren't Dave Matthews. Uh, concert goers like y'all are share an experience of what it's like when it's Dave in full flow. Oh man. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to kind of describe, um, you know, you're, it's, it's a set list. It's, you know, people, they think Dave, Oh, I used to see him in the nineties when I was in college or I've seen a couple Dave shows. He plays a different set list every single night so when you go to those shows at the gorge he's not playing the same song all three nights once once and he'll play a few covers i like the covers because i think they're different um but it's hard to imagine you know and and it's 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 the people you're with too you know um it's the energy it's the place you're at it's the people you're with that you can you can be at the worst venue in the world, but if you're with great people and and having a good time and and just you know end of the set, it's it's hard to describe. You can't yeah. really describe it. And thus, this is why we talk about it every show because every podcast I do, I know that this is part of life. Sure, it is something that revitalizes you. There is nothing that can take away if somebody's music is resonating with you, no matter where you're watching it. Right. If it's great music, great friends, great times always come along with it. Absolutely. It never never lets you down. And and I've probably seen Dave five times. And not since uh the violinist passed away. And when was that? Was that two? Oh, he didn't pass away. He didn't pass away? No. He just he's not with a band anymore. It's a creeper. Oops. Quadruple. <laughs> That's two balls out of bounds by Sorry. Coach Herring. Thank you. I don't know why. Why did I think that he been? Well, anyway, quintuple bogey on my behalf. Anyway, but I mean, at the end of the day, I haven't seen him in a long, long time. That's a how the show? How is has it evolved? Yeah, it's 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 a lot of good, and some songs you just you can't replace a violin. You know, it's it's a piano now, and um, it's it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's still yeah. a good vibe. It's still a good show. It's, you know, people are still, you know, happy at the end of the show. But there's some songs you just, 
you can't yeah you can't, can't make put it a piano into a violin yeah good point so it's i mean it's still a great show yeah don't get me wrong what's the, what's the what's the best show you is the, it's the gorge right the yeah gorge. gorge is is pretty up there yeah um what was it like in paris it was different you know it was a different fan uh-huh. it was um the energy was still amazing um set list was awesome um small venue i think it was like fifteen thousand. so very very small venue uh-huh. um it was uh it was kind of in a uh it was in a venue that was in a park so it wasn't outdoors but it was it was a little strange just mm-hmm. you know foreign country so everything was, feels a little different but we oui, we oui. yeah but it was i mean it was an awesome show uh-huh. and and wow. yeah amsterdam was was exactly what you would expect yeah <laughs> well when it comes to your favorite as you were growing up your favorite sports team and favorite players well, who are your your role models and and people that you looked up to or you idolized when you were a kid in in all of sport um when I was super young, I was a big Montana fan, big Joe Montana fan, uh, 49ers fan. Um, I had a teacher that her son was involved with the team, so I think a trainer mm-hmm. or something, and just idolized Joe Montana. Um, golf, um, obviously, you know, Tiger, unbelievable. Yeah, we've we've been fortunate enough to live in the era where we've seen maybe maybe the greatest golf ever played. Probably um, the greatest at his craft yeah, that there's ever been. A hundred percent. I would I would say, you know, I, I grew up playing a lot of different sports. Um, grew up playing a lot of soccer. Grew up playing a little bit of basketball. I mean, it's hard to not say Jordan was unbelievable uh, to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, eerily similar to Tiger. Just kind of rose up above competition and, yeah. and didn't take no for an answer. Yeah. Who's your favorite soccer player? Uh, I was a keeper when I was young. Uh So around the time that I was a keeper, uh, a guy named Tony Miola was was a keeper for the U.S. team. Yeah. So that was my kind of – that was my guy. Uh, Yeah. But I grew up playing keeper. Awful asthma. I couldn't keep up with anybody. So that was the tallest guy on the team and the slowest. So goalie keeper. (laughs) (laughs) Who's tall and slow? (laughs) Me. Me. (laughs) Goalie. Here's some gloves. It worked out perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. What's the coolest sporting event that you've ever seen live? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Hmm. Masters practice round is, is pretty fun. You know, that's not a, live sporting event just but it's a an practice event. round it is it's an event though it is um my wife and i just got back from the winter classic in dallas uh to see the predators and the stars play that was that was interesting yeah um you know being outside to watch a hockey game it's it's different but it's yeah. very cool you know there's eighty thousand people there as opposed to twenty thousand that that you know bridgestone bridgestone up there um we've been to a national championship basketball uh we weren't really Vested, in yeah, it. vested. Mm-hmm. It was a UConn, and I can't even remember who else, but just to feel that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was at AT&T in Dallas, uh, Jerry World. Uh-huh. But you know, it's kind of one of those things where you've got awesome seats on the floor or wherever, but you're still, you know, 
eighty yards from the court. You can't really <laughs> see squat, but you got that giant TV above you. So yeah, just the helps. energy of a national championship is is very cool. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to go to a few different, you know, mm-hmm. kind of cool venues and 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 see some cool stuff. Talk to the people out there about if they haven't been to Augusta National. Is very few things that ever live up to the hype, like Augusta National does. It yeah. never lets you down. No, every year, you know, I, I try my best to go in every year. Um, you know, it's a slow event for us as far as building. Mm. We may have 15, 16, 17 guys there, which is great. But if they don't have everything sorted as far as equipment, something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they may have a wedge or something small built, but yeah. Augusta, like I said, try to go in every year. And just try to to the word keeps coming up. Feel that energy yeah. around that place. It's a special place. It really is. Um, I like to watch the rookies go in and play practice rounds. That's pretty fun. Um, one thing I would like to do is uh, uh, I'm fortunate to be able to work with Roger Cleveland uh, maybe five or six weeks a year, and mm-hmm. he always comes out to the Masters. Um, and he has a tradition. One day I'll get to do it. Usually I'm packing the truck up. But when they're playing the par three, he likes to go and walk around the golf course every hole mm-hmm. by itself and just kind of take it all in because there's nobody out there. Yeah. And something like that sounds really cool to me where there's no hustle and bustle. There may be sure. one or two guys playing, you know, everybody's spectators on the, on the, on the, the par, par three, three course. course. But that would be – that would be pretty neat. Uh, to me, it's it's. Uh, I've had the fortunate opportunity to see it from every angle. I've seen it from the fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen it as the coach um, in 2004, and then I've played it twice. And as you get closer to the real thing, you cannot fathom. Like if you're a fan and you're at the Masters and you walk down the 10th hole, you're like, well, wow, that's a pretty downhill. <laughs> and then when you're walking with your player, <laughs> yeah. walking down the 10th hole, you're like, hey, Sneds. <laughs> <laughs> this is really <laughs> going to be a tough shot. <laughs> and then you get a seven iron in your hand and you're like, you have to get a crook in your neck because you're like, yeah. you're, you're so downhill that you're having to kind of like tilt your head at the strangest angle to see the flag. I tell people all the time, it is the hardest golf course in the world. That's park, parkland or inland golf course. It doesn't right. have the elements like an ocean course sure. does. Yeah. And people are always like, well, how or why? It's because there's only 18 flat yeah. shots. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's And it's true. why it always gets the best champion, <laughs> because you cannot fake no. it. Not one part of your game no. can be off it and win a Masters. It will expose every part of your game every that is part. struggling. Um, you know, Lacey and I have, uh, we have uh, a kind of a understanding. If one of us gets to play... Or if we're fortunate, both of us get to play, but that's probably not going to happen at the same time. Hmm. If one of us gets to play, we cannot be mad or not talk to each other or not sleep in different beds that night. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a tough it's one. It's going to happen one of these yeah. days, but it's it's we, we talk about it quite a bit. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> so on the, on Tuesday of the practice round in 04, I was with Brant. And no, I'm sorry, it was Monday. With the front nine, he couldn't get his ball mark repair tool to go in to the ground. <laughs> so they, they took his ball mark repair tool and took it to the grinding wheel and sharpened, and sharpened it so that he could fix his ball smear because they weren't making any marks. Right. And he just smears on the greens. 
What's the first year that he played in the Masters? It was 04. 04? 04. He won the public links in 2000. Yeah. The, the aforementioned so uh, amateur. Uh, you were still at Hermitage at the time. I was right? at Hermitage, yeah. Okay. I remember you giving him a lesson right before, and I was just, I was working. I was, mm-hmm. you know, the lowly cart kid uh, working. And I remember pulling up on you guys working on shots for this tournament. And I remember hearing you talk about 10 and 13 and him hitting the biggest slinging draws. I mean, he already yep. hit a draw, but I remember watching him hit draws and draws and draws and draws. He must have hit 25 or 30 of them, and you kept saying, more, more, more. And I couldn't believe, I mean, he was hitting 25-yard slinging draws, yep. and I couldn't believe the, the shots, but, you know, 10 years later, I can appreciate it because I've seen it. Yeah, and more than, like the game has changed some, okay? So, like, the 13th and hole. And the course. Yeah, the course. <laughs> The thirteenth hole, the first time I first time I played it, I got up on the tee box and I'm like, I can carry those trees. Yeah, easy. <laughs> and the member that I'm with in the caddy is like, Oh, come on, nobody carries those trees. And I'm like, Listen, I know what those trees look like. I can hit it over those trees. And I did with ease. Like literally ease. I'm like, why are they not doing this? And it didn't take long, and Bubba Watson's gap wedge. And Angel Cabrera hits nine iron. Yeah. And I'm like, what were people waiting on? Right. Because I'm, I'm, I hit it long. I, don't, I'm, I know I hit it long. But there are people that hit it longer than me out there. Yeah. And I'm like, what are they? But it's because if it doesn't work out, that's a nine, that's and a it's nine. out of the tournament. That's a seven, yeah. So you have to hit that. On the weekend. At that yeah. time, and I remember, though, it was back in the day, the Tiger had that Titleist PT-13. Mm-hmm. And he'd hit that like a 50-yard rope slinger yeah. right off the corner of those trees. Yep. And I'm like, Snedge, you got to understand something, buddy. You're not Tiger Woods. Right. And you're going to have to hit driver on that corner, not three wood. And another thing that uh, – and I, this gets all drawers of the golf ball. That hanging lie, ball up about his kneecaps, they get so worried because they're drawers, they're going to hook the bejesus out of well, it yeah, that they, they slide that on underneath up. it. And, they, yeah. they sh- and that, that cost him the Masters in 06. And again, and because David Duvall, two Masters, and Curtis Strange Masters, it is one of the most incredibly difficult shots because not only for a right-handed golfer, that's a beast, but for old lefty over here, I was like, I felt like I was chewing on my kneecaps with my eight iron. And that ball was so far below my feet. Right. I'm like, I, I just, I wanted to heel thin it just good enough <laughs> to get it on the green. Now, I was fortunate to get eight iron both times onto the green from there. That's impressive. But I'm like thinking to myself, it was at least eight inches below my feet. I mean, if if you're drawing the ball and you're hitting that Saturday pin, okay, you got a little bit of room behind it. On Sunday, though. Mm-mm. I think to me, like Mm-mm. I've watched, obviously, been, the Masters is my favorite event of all time. The shot that Fado hit 96 to beat Norman, when he cut that, I think it was a two iron off that ball. Man, that's ball hard to believe. A, two iron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What a shot. Yeah. I mean, there's, and I remember Duvall talking about it, Tiger talking about it, and Nick Fowda talking about it. Every tournament, if you're going to win it, there's going to be a shot that you just got to sack up and hit a shot. Mm-hmm. Period. You got to do it. And I think that that was about as big of a shot that I can think of in my lifetime where he was up by, I think he was up by a two at that point, and he obviously was a gigantic comeback. But Norman was in, in reasonably good shape there. And Fado backed off the five wood, two iron, five wood, two iron. And he's going, I'm going with two iron and just hit a missile in there. And that w- 
that basically sealed the deal for him. Obviously, he had he had to play golf, right? And Norman was like fumbling like crazy. But at the end of the day, I remember that shot being one of the greatest shots in the history of the game, off with all the heat right. on it. I, it reminds me of Phil's shot out of the pine straw. Oh my goodness, how could I forget that? I mean, he didn't have the guys on his heels. I don't think. Like, but he could have lost it. Yeah, he, yeah. Oh. That's what I was thinking. What are you doing? Yeah, you but idiot. he's. But that's if Phil. Bones is sitting there. He's not even. He's there. There's no other shot in his head. Like I'm hitting it. <laughs> yeah. No, Bones. You get Bones gets one a year, and he wasn't about to pull that card right no. there. I think the thing that surprised me the most of all that that he missed the eagle putt. Yeah. He actually had a longer bird putt right. than he had an eagle putt. Right. That is something I'll never forget. Oh, my goodness. I'll never forget that shot, too. Out of the pine straw. Mm-hmm. And once again, he talks about it, though. He talks about it uh, easily, about how he had a huge advantage because he was left-handed. That he if, he over, if he overcooked yeah. it, it was going to go long yeah. on the – Yeah. And if he kind of whiffed it in the yeah. heel, it was going to still find grass. Sure. He just felt like it was – the layup shot wasn't a, an option. And I think if you're not left-handed – you couldn't possibly understand that. But at the end of the day, um, I've been there after that, and I've walked right beside it, and it's it's obvious. I don't, I don't think I'd hit six. I think I'd hit a five iron. But I'm like, you ha- you can't lay up from that angle. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. an impossible shot. So it was heroic. Or it heroic. goes down towards the creek. There. Yeah. yeah. It's, yep. it's, 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 it was a heroic shot from the camera angle. Yeah. But as I stood up by that tree, I'm thinking to myself, he the sh- that's actually the only smart shot he had. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So that's so true. Well, the, the the final piece to this is is food and wine, and obviously we are having the greatest wine in the world this evening with Quilcita Creek and Leonetti Cellars. They've delivered a one-two punch for us this evening, so right. we're, I'm very grateful nice. for that. How important is it to have great wine and great food when you're around people in the, in the collection of what I call communitas of friends and family. Right. Um, well, I'm fortunate enough to marry somebody that actually knows how to cook. My extent of cooking is, uh, <laughs> it's putting something that. in the microwave or maybe macaroni and cheese. Um, but granola and yeah. granola and yogurt. <laughs> uh, Lacey actually paid attention when she was young to her mother and grandmother. And I'm the benefactor of that. So, I'm very thankful for that, and it shows. Um, we have, we collectively have never missed a meal. No, yeah, no. Thank God I'm tall. Thank the good Lord I'm tall. But no, um, good wine, good good meal. Whether it's, I'm a big fan of eating at home, uh, especially holidays. Because you eat out on the road so much. Yeah, it's probably a place I to be eat out every it. meal, and you know I'm not saying that's not nice, but I don't I don't care if we're eating, you know something microwaved at home it's different when you're sitting around the table yeah. and you have your family your friends or what have you it you you, you know birdie right here trying mm. to beg for a scrap it doesn't matter it's 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 just so much different yeah um to to be at home um and uh be able to drink your own wine or i think that's it <laughs> you you your life brings a different level to that because you're on the road so much, and you hear like musicians yeah. and athletes, yeah. like the last thing they want to do, like yeah. their vacation. I'm like I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a ten day vacation oh. and stay right here stay at my here stinking home. house. Yeah. And yeah. and I think that of all the things that I, and now that I've, I've actually immersed myself in it today with you and, and talking about it, I've spent plenty of time on the road on the tour, but it was never. It was like I'd get there on either Monday or Tuesday. And I'd leave on Wednesday. 
And then I'm back doing my normal. My, it's like you're just kind of like it's, yeah. it's just tick we're, tick. Yep, tick, we're pulling tick. in on Sunday. It's you know it's the truck doesn't set itself up. Yeah. So you're setting it up. Takes about an hour and a half cleaning it. You know about thirty forty minutes. You're going to grocery, buying a little bit of stuff. Yeah. You know for the guys for the week. Working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday about one. You're packing it up driving to the next one yeah so it's it just never stops so depending on how far we got to go you know the west coast it's it's brutal because it's kind of far in between some events uh but the transition from west coast to east coast you can't go you can't go home for a day and a half and then come back out on the west coast but west you know coming off the west coast it's it's nice because you're not three hours difference you know um you know, in the Florida swing, I can I can get home a little more because I yeah. can drive two hours down the road. Yeah. Sometimes park it or set it up and not have to come back until Sunday, so it's nice. Mm, and the rest true. of our season, for the, for the most part, is, is East Coast. Yeah, true. I think the PGA Championship moving to May is going to change some things. Because you yeah. normally was an August event, and it was almost always New York, Boston, occasionally Olympic Club, but it was right. always All north, yeah, always in the north. And now I think we're going to start to see California, Texas, Oklahoma, yeah, golf courses, and hopefully we get some like new golf courses and new blood yeah, in the major nice. championship. Yeah, that would be nice because there's so many great golf courses out there. Yeah, um, I, it's it's I, I like it. I mean for. It stinks for uh, as far as you know driving, but uh, it is fun to, for golf to go. Yeah, for yeah. golf, it's great. For the for the game, it's great. Yeah, no doubt. Final question: uh, When it comes to the the big, the always throw a monkey wrench into the last question, which is, you get a chance to play one last round of golf. Who are you playing with? They can be dead or alive. What golf course are you playing? Who's your Mount Rushmore? Where are you, who are you playing with and where are you playing? I've been thinking about this one. <laughs> um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play a lot of great golf courses with, with Lacey. Um, it would have to be... It would have to be Augusta. Obviously, um, I think it would be with with Lacey, and I think with my two grandfathers. Um, oh wow! They're not with us anymore, and and one of them was a part of me uh, playing golf super young. Mm-hmm. He kind of uh he had a huge yard and when we'd go over there I'd hit golf balls with him all the time. I was five or six years so he old. He introduced you to the game. He introduced me to the game. Him and my father. Yeah. Um and it was his father. Um Yeah. Mother grandfather I didn't get to you know, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with. He died when I was young, but he was a golfer as well. Um and he was in the service so he played at golf all over the place. Um but it would have to be um Augusta with Lacey and and my two grandfathers. Oh, that's awesome. Bonus so, question just popped in my head. USGA just came out with the distance report. Okay. And the big buzz is either bifurcation or what are we going to do? And then just when that happens, essentially, Riviera comes along and totally dispels the the myth of the importance of bifurcation and changing the game because people are hitting it too far. 
you have a very close touch, both with the technology piece, how far the ball's flying, how far the drivers are hitting it, the shaft technology, and, and the athletes that are swinging it yeah. versus bifurcating and or changing golf courses. What's your stance being you have the unique opportunity to t- to describe it from both angles you see the players and you build the golf clubs for the players at the golf courses that are either getting dis- torn up or not torn up what's what's your perception of what needs to happen in the game going forward good question um my feel is you still got to get the ball in the hole mm-hmm it still take ta- takes talent to get ball in the hole. I don't care if you're Dustin Johnson or you're Brian Gay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guys, you still have to learn how – and everybody's different. You know, some guys hit it 350. Some guys hit it 250. Yeah. Some guys can make a 15-footer no problem. Some guys, you know, are going to shiver over that 15-footer. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, you know, it's such a fine line with – changing the golf course um and there's still 6600 yard golf courses um or you know 3259 for example sweden's cove yeah no doubt it is still hard to get that golf ball in the hole i don't care how far you hit it yep um i, I don't think you change the equipment that much yet that's my stance yeah. on it um I, th- I think you can change the golf course a little bit, but I think you can set a golf course up t- to still be challenging and not have to make it 8,000 yards. Yeah. You can grow rough up. You can you can make greens faster. You can, you know, from a standpoint of me working for a manufacturer, yeah, we don't want to make anything slower or Heck go less no. further. I mean, in what sport do you want to go – Oh, well, we don't want the baseball to travel this far or, you know, we don't want the tennis ball to go any faster or we don't – why would you not want speed in a sport? Uh, I mean, last time I went to a NASCAR or an F1 or an IndyCar race, we don't want the cars to go slower. Yeah. That doesn't make for a good sport. Yeah. So, you know, I think you still got to get the ball in the hole. Yeah. You know, and you can set a golf course up, you know, to to – to match that and i think that one of the things that we 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 miss i shouldn't say we the golf media misses is like the 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 whining and complaining about pebble beach last year at the u.s open right oh it didn't it didn't stand a chance against the length whatever well if it hadn't rained every damn day yeah it did and and, and, and they don't that's not a story though the, that doesn't that that's doesn't make not a story, story. <laughs> and like they, so they're always talking about well Look what happened in Royal Melbourne. Look what happens at Augusta National. Look what happened at Riviera. Well, they just so happens that this year, yeah. perfect weather. Mm-hmm. The golf course was absolutely immaculate. They did a good job with pin placements. It was fair. It was fair, I, but I but, agree. but challenging. I don't. Th- I really think it's. I've I've done a lot of thinking on this. I've talked about it on both sides of the fence because multiple times I'm asked to be on the the tour player side mm-hmm. or the golf historian side mm-hmm. or the the average player side. It is not good business for us to make the game harder. It's a terrible business model to make the game harder. I agree. I'm also not sure that it's a good idea to bifurcate so that the tour players are forced to play something that we can't. I agree. Or that we're not. Because part of the allure of the game is to play the same driver that Rory's playing or Brooks is playing. And 
and 85% of the time, you can do that. There's some heads and some things that you can't get, but a lot of times, it's the there's s- not that many changes. That's People right. will be surprised. There's not that many changes between tour stuff and, and retail stuff. Yeah, I agree. So, And I think that that, to me, of all the things, I because I, th- I knew you had a very unique perspective, because you can see it from all three fronts. As, the, as, a, as a golfer, historian golfer, right. in the equipment business, working with tour players, right. uh, and fourth, always at the golf course that they're playing. Sure. There are certain golf courses that are designed to shoot low scores. Yes. You don't go to Bob Hope thinking you're going to win at minus eight. No. Maybe minus t- minus eight 28. Maybe 28, <laughs> but not eight. It's fun. But that's supposed to be fun. Are, it's, it's part of it, you know? Exactly. You, you know you, you know with the U.S. Open, you're going to grind your butt off. You know, you know, five, six, seven, eight under. I enjoy the U.S. Opens that one or two under wins. Absolutely. It's fun to see that one time a year. Yeah. I also love the Birdie Fest courses. They're fun, too. Mm-hmm. But I, I think if you can set a golf course up properly and, you know, know what you're getting – with regard to the weather, obviously, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, they're they're really talented players, and we're never going to be able to run from that because the greater and greater athletes with greater teaching, with better technology, better tools, it's yeah. going to keep on getting better. But we should really embrace that, not run from that. You know, the basketball players today, there isn't anybody that's struggling to dunk a ball like no. they did maybe in the mid-60s. No. But are you going to tell me that it's not fun watching LeBron play? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? It, absolutely. So I, I'm, I've, I've come to, like, I, I, a couple days ago I was, in, I was interviewed, and I just said, you know what? I don't think that it's a good idea to bifurcate or slow things down. I just think that people just have to get off their silly high horse on history and whatever they think it's supposed to be. Because we can't make the game harder because it's already. If you play golf, you know I got great job security. <laughs> I mean, I got great job security. It's a hard game. I mean, it's a we different game though, right? Yeah. You mean 25 years ago, there wasn't an athlete playing golf. Well, maybe one Greg or two. Greg Norman and Nick Price. Yeah, one or two. Yeah. Right? That's right. The other guys, eh. Not so you know, much. Not so much. Man, how I many think about it. It was not uncommon for one third of the players to be smoking cigarettes. Absolutely, I don't think anybody smokes anymore. Cigars. Does anybody smoke on the tour anymore? I don't. Yes, they do, but not playing. Yeah, that's right. You don't ever see it. Yeah, not not walking down the middle of the fairway. And it used to be nothing to see somebody flick a. (laughs) That's something that moves people. And now they're testing for performance enhancing, you know, drugs. Yeah, they were laughed at you fifteen years ago. Yeah. Like, do you think this guy does performance enhancing drugs? No, he's he's going to do good to get around 18 holes. <laughs> yes, his performance enhancing drug is called Jack Daniels. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking yes, the time to uh, come on The Verge and allowing me to come to your wonderful home and have an awesome evening thank with you. Thank you. Um, thanks for representing uh, all that is golf. Callaway, obviously, is dear, near and dear to my heart for a long time. And uh, thanks for sharing your story. I know some of it was awesome and some of it was not so easy to talk about. And that's what makes this podcast so great. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research 
and education.